It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. He's earned decades of Wall Street success, a lifelong student of the market who learned to navigate the world of finance with unshaking confidence, an underdog who achieved the American dream. Now the Fox Business host is sharing all his investing wisdom with you on Charles Payne's Unstoppable Prosperity Podcast. Today I'm sitting down with my colleague, Fox Business correspondent, Lydia Hugh, to break down my story of how I changed my financial future and how the biggest hurdle was taking that first step and why knowledge will always be your greatest asset to succeeding in the stock market. You may know Charles Payne as a massively successful financial expert who is widely respected on Wall Street. The story of how he got there is nothing less than a modern-day American dream. I'm Lydia Hu, Fox Business correspondent, and today... It is my pleasure to dive into the story behind the Wall Street expert, eminent entrepreneur, trusted financial advisor, and Fox business superstar. Before he was helping you make money on FBN, he was a kid with aspirations of changing his economic situation. A story of the oldest son and a struggling family working hard, overcoming adversity, teaching himself to navigate the world of finance, and investing to rocket himself to the peak of success. Charles Payne is here. I'm so pleased. Let's get into it. Hi, Charles. Uh, Thank you for that amazing introduction. (laughs) I appreciate it so much. Thanks, Lydia. This has really been my pleasure, you know, getting into your background and having the opportunity to, you know, let listeners know more about you. I'm sure a lot of people already know who you are, but this is a chance for them to know more about where you've come from, right. how far you've come. And for right. people that are just getting to know you, to know your background here too, to help us do that, I know we're going to talk a lot about your important book, Unstoppable Prosperity, but I want to touch on one of your prior books, Be Smart, Act Fast, Get Rich, because in it, there's this beautiful forward written by our colleague, Neil Cavuto. I'm going to read just a small part of this. He writes, Charles is a good man who sees nothing wrong with being rich everything wrong with acting rich. Neil writes, I remember joking with him once that there are rich jerks and there are poor jerks. Neil said on air once that jerky knows no pedigree. It's not money that corrupts the wallet, but indifference and dismissiveness that corrupts the soul. I thought that was such a beautiful way of introducing you to everyone because you really are self-made and you write about in your book, Unstoppable Prosperity, that you went from a net worth of zero to upwards of $275 million, and yet you still stay so grounded and humble. And I think... You live your life to give back and show people how to do it themselves. And a lot of that is because of where you came from. So let's go back to the beginning. I understand you grew up in public housing for a lot of your formative years in Harlem. Right. What was it there that you saw that inspires what you do today? Well, let me go back even further than that, because Mm. um, my father was in in the Army. My father was a career military man. And so for the first part of my childhood, we lived in army bases, which was absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. In the 60s and 70s, uh, we moved every year. 
So the only bad part about that is I don't have any childhood friends from like third grade. Every time I'm with someone, oh, I know Bob since third grade. Like you do, like you know. Uh, but I, the flip side, I learned how to make friends quickly. Uh, so because you're in and out, right? So mm-hmm. it was this amazing, wonderful world, um, almost an oasis, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. of what was going on outside of army bases in America. You know, you know, the '60s and '70s were a period of turmoil, right? Uh, the civil rights movement, uh, you know, the anti-war movement, all those sort of things. We never felt it. Uh, I never really knew about racism. I think my first best friend, Randy Helms, is white, and um, black girlfriends, white girlfriends, and it didn't, you know, it just it was just never. We never cared about that stuff. Um, and then, you know, one day we lived in Fort Lee, Virginia, two-story house, beautiful house. We had a staircase like the Brady Bunch, uh, big yard. The only problem with the big yard is I had to cut it. <laughs> and, and my father was a stickler on me using the one without the engine, just like I was the engine. Like, you know, wh- right. what about the thing over there? No, no, no. This builds character. Yes, that's what I was just thinking. Those hard jobs, those chores, <laughs> that's what makes us the good people that we are today, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, listen, I tell people we used to go outside, ride our bikes all day, come home, make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, go back out, ride your bikes all day, no locks on the door. It was really amazing. And so one day I came home from school and my mom said, we're leaving. And so me, my mom, and my two younger brothers got on a bus. Uh, it was Petersburg outside of Fort Lee, uh, penniless. We had no money. We got on a bus from Fort Lee, Virginia to Harlem, where she had a friend who lived at the time. Now, at this time, in the early 70s, Harlem was the poorest, most dangerous neighborhood in America. So instant culture shock. I mean, like, golly, instant. I, Lydia, from the first moment we got into the train station, to the trains and back then like in the 70s they were still running trains from like the late 50s like these old iron horses right (laughs) some still had actually they call people who take the train strap uh, strap hangers they actually had straps right right i mean and that the you know it's just oh man the loud noise and then we get you know then we finally take the train and we get to harlem we come out in the buildings i mean i'm seeing these tall buildings i never saw tall buildings before Mm -hmm. and the energy was mind-boggling was just the the energy was just so I never felt that much energy in the music from everywhere. Cars, every car had a music blasting. Every window had music blasting. People walking around with their boom boxes, right? And I'm like, oh man! And like, and it's these songs. I I remember uh, one of the first songs I heard was uh, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, right? Bad Luck. And I'm like, what the heck? I mean, listen, I was digging Elton John, right? Philadelphia Freedom, but I never heard anything <laughs> like this. What the heck is going on? Uh-huh. I loved it. I saw girls playing double dutch. So all of these things were amazing, but then came the tough part. The extreme poverty and the extreme violence. Never that I could I've imagined that that existed. Mm-hmm. Never. So initially me and my mom, my two brothers all slept in a room together, all four of us. Wow. Um and you know, I soon discovered like the fights fight each fight was a fight to the death. I mean, I had maybe two or three fights in my life before and then with friends and within five minutes, you're friends again, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are like, if you, if you had a fight with someone, uh, I had a fight with someone once that lasted an hour, almost an hour. It covered almost three city blocks. I don't even know how. Like we started on one block and we ended up at another one. Um, you mean like physically fighting yeah, with each other? Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah, just throwing punches, headlocks, yeah. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that was tough. I wasn't prepared for that. And so after a few months, we got our own apartment. And so winter came. And that first winter, we had no heat or hot water. Mm. I was not prepared for that. 
And now you're in New York. You're up north. Right. You're no longer in. Right. So it's cold. It's it's and then of course coming into the building every day, I'd have to climb over junkies or winos. Mm. Um, so I mean, it was tough, and I, I just I was so came first came the shock, then came well I'm the oldest. I got to do something about it. Mm. So I started cleaning windows, uh, at, at car windows, and uh, stoplights. Uh, you know, I got a paper. I bought some paper towels and some Windex, and I would do that for a hustle. Shovel snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a lot of things. I got a job at a bodega, and I, you know, I would come home and give my mom whatever I made. I would just put it on to give it to her, hand it to her, mm-hmm. and I just said to myself, "I got to figure something out." Mm-hmm. And like anyone, I think at a certain age, we equate money with Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So I started reading the Wall Street Journal. Lydia, it was so hard. I invite anyone to go look at an old Wall Street Journal from, like, say, 1974. It's nothing but lines and numbers, lines and numbers. I mean, mm-hmm. I had to keep getting them over and looking. And after a few months, I started to get it. Mm-hmm. I started to kind of understand it. And then finally, I was getting into it. And I told my mother when I was 14, I said, I'm going to work on Wall Street. And what did she say? She said, go for it. You will. She believed in you. Yeah, absolutely. She was the only one, though. Mm-hmm. She was the only one. And uh, when I was 17, I made enough money that I bought my first mutual fund. She had to co-sign because I wasn't 18. Mm-hmm. Joined the Air Force, and when I was 18 years old, I bought my first stock. Opened a Dean Witter. I went to Dean Witter in Minot, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Opened the account and uh, bought a stock called MCI. So, but it was it was it was tough. You know, I knew that the only way out was the stock market. I just knew that would be the only way to, 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 to get my family out of there. But I mean, you say some of these things, like it was like you brush over them, like they're easy. You know, you wanted to get, go to wall street. So you did, you, you wanted to read the wall street journal. So you did, but I'm sure it wasn't easy, especially when people around you said, you can't do that. Yeah. I know that when you sat for your first brokerage exam, exam one of the instructors said, you're not going to pass. Right. Right. Actually it was before yeah. that. I, um, I was working two jobs, mm-hmm. and I had a buddy who, who worked for a major firm. He was taking the test. Um, so I was like, hey, you know, he said, listen, I'm going to these cor- I'm taking these courses. And he, he said, why don't you come, come up one day? So the test back then, I'm not sure if it's the same now. They were always on a Saturday. So this was Wednesday. And I went with them up, and the guy who was giving the course, he said, oh, yeah, of course, come on in. Mm-hmm. So I sat in, and they gave me a practice test, and I got it in 70s. 73s, whatever. So the guy's looking over it. They scored it. And he said, eh, test of Saturday. There's no way you're going to pass it. He said, but after you take it, you know, why don't you officially join one of our courses? And I looked him in the face. I said, okay, no problem. And I was in the back of my mind. I was like, my man, you don't know me. So I called in sick the next two days. And at this time, I had been in the Air Force. I got out the Air Force. I was married, had my baby, my daughter. And it was ironic because life was repeating itself. Me and my wife and my daughter lived in a room inside of an apartment. Mm-hmm. So I went to my mother's apartment and then, you know, she had a big kitchen table and I would put, I just put everything out there, studied, studied, studied. That Saturday I killed it. I killed it. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Six hour test. I finished in less than four hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, one person left before me. I still think I beat them, but I was so scared that I went through this thing so fast that I had to go check it again. Mm-hmm. And so my office was open. The firm that sponsored me, they were open that Saturday and where I took the test was in walking distance. And when I walked out the building, I was singing a Stevie Wonder song called Overjoyed. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but there's a line in there that says, and though the odds say improbable, what do they know? 
they being society. Mm-hmm. I just sang that all the way to the office. Mm, and I, did, did that just carry you through? I mean, you've done so many there's, things. There's so many. It's so tough. I mean, you're right. It does sound easy the way I explain it, but it's it was it's it's been so hard. The beginning was so hard because you know it's great. That's a great business to come in if you know a few people. Mm-hmm. You know, you can open an account with your uncle, your uncle's friends. You know, someone can get you a jump start. I knew no one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I worked 100% commission. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. But do you think that's what helps you connect to your viewers now? Many of them who might be approaching the markets or unstoppable prosperity thinking, I know nothing about investing, but I want to know more. There's a commonality between you, but you've made it made so much and come so far. But then the people that are just starting out, the people that you're trying to reach, do you feel that connection? Of course, one thousand percent. I'm I'm like I'm with them. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. me and them versus the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can, if every show, if you watch my shows, every show, and I, I take a little digs here and there at the, you know, so-called smart money, uh, you know, but that's my goal. My goal is to get everyone into the greatest money-making machine ever because we, everyone's already a part of it. You might as well start getting paid. What do you mean everyone's a part of it? Well, if, when you get up in the morning, if, you know, you may have an alarm clock from a publicly traded company. You put on a pair of shoes from a publicly traded company. You put on a shirt that's from a publicly traded company. You get in the car that's from a publicly traded company. Every single thing that we touch every day, everything that we put our money into, mm-hmm. for the most part, is attached to the stock market. And I've always told people who said, oh, I'm, I'm not in it. I don't, in it. I don't know anything about it. I said, no, we're all in the market. Mm-hmm. And one of the suggestions I always have for folks is like, uh, you know, think about this. You have certain things that you really love and you spend your money on, products and services, and then you tell your friends about it because it's that great. And so you're willing to take all your hard-earned money, become an unpaid spokesperson for the company, but not Mm -hmm. be part owner of the company? Mm -hmm. This is an invitation to become part owner of these companies. What I love about your book too is that you break down the fundamentals into such easy bite-sized ways to understand it. I know in the next podcast you get more into right. it. So here's a little teaser of why they should st- continue to listen. Right. But you say the goal is not to understand everything, you know, all the charts and all the data all at once, but just break it down and pick some of your favorite trends to follow. Master one concept at a time. And you you make it you make it understandable and you make it easy and approachable. Because you're right, because it's so intimidating. I mean, there mm-hmm. are I, I remember when I first said, Okay, I want to start learning about technical analysis. Oh my God, Lydia, there's <laughs> there's a gazillion things. I mean, I you know, sometimes I have folks come on the show and I'm like, huh? <laughs> I mean, there's a million and one. There's 10 types of inverted yield curves, right? And and, right. and the three and 10 matter more than the two and five, unless it's this day. I, I, you know, I was finding myself with seven buy signals, you know, four sell signals and a punt. Like, you know, it's like I'm a square one, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I just, you don't have to make it overly, uh, you really do not have to make this overly complicated. You can overthink this. And I think, honestly, that's one of the uh, advantages that a retail investor has over Wall Street. I think that they are so wedded to so many things. Uh, you know, I'll never buy a stock with a PE ratio over 20. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that means if that stock goes up to a PE ratio of 50, you won't be in it. So you'll never have the mega winners. You will never, ever be in NVIDIA. You will never, ever be in these stocks that go up a 1,000% because you've already said that at a certain level, you won't own them. Mm-hmm. 
that's fine for you. You also get a salary of seven-figure salary. But the person out there who's trying to change their life, that might be for them. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's why you don't want to make this overly complicated or put these sort of I will say they're not irrational per se, but there's a the I find that the street has put so many barriers mm-hmm. toward making big money. And I understand that they want they don't want people to make big money. They want you to make a certain amount. Mm-hmm. Keep you in there, but not, you know. Five percent, eight percent. Keep you coming back. Let them manage it. Mm-hmm. Don't get big expectations. You start making twenty, thirty, forty percent, and you know their job is a lot tougher. I love that idea because you point that out in your book about how some of the share prices are sky high. You know, and you talk about don't be intimidated when the price is in you know the four digits. You know, because it's designed that way right. to try to intimidate you to keep it out, and you address you address that head on. Right. You know, don't be scared of those numbers. Right, and people, you know, look. Some of it's natural. If I say, okay, this costs a dollar and this costs a thousand dollars, which one's right. expensive? Is which one is cheap? Mm-hmm. If I were to ask a thousand people, you know, nine hundred ninety nine would say the thing of the dollar is cheap. Now, the thing at a dollar may only be worth though ten cents, mm-hmm. and the thing at a thousand may actually be worth two thousand. Mm-hmm. So now, which one is cheap and which one is expensive? Right. Yeah. Guys, you have to get this book, Unstoppable Prosperity, because Charles explains more about these concepts and makes it so approachable and easy to understand. Charles, I know we we might be running out of time here, but I do want to ask. You know, when you think about who you are talking to, we have seen this rise in the retail investor, mm-hmm. like, like you just mentioned, during the pandemic. Are you trying to reach younger and younger folks who are interested in the market? Or when you think about who you're trying to help, is it folks like maybe like your mom, you know, back when you were first living in Harlem right, and she was right. working so hard to provide for the family and make ends meet? Who is it that you are trying to help here? Everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone who who who's intimidated by the system and won't give themselves a chance to change their lives. And people who have already said, okay, I've invested, but I haven't had much luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm trying to reach everyone across the board. And I've been pretty lucky that I've, I've actually had, you know, people who've never invested before, but I've also had folks who've been around for a long time and said, yeah, I, I've learned some new things with you. So, uh, but I'm, I'm really trying to reach everyone. Ultimately, that's my goal is to bring down the barriers. I just want to bring down these barriers, these artificial barriers between you and investing in the stock market. All I'm asking is that, A, you get involved, and B, you're committed for, to being it forever, making a lifelong project, and you're also committed to always learning. Mm-hmm. If you're committed to those three things, I think you're going to really do well. It sounds like procrastination is really the mistake it's you made. It's a huge, 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 huge issue. It's- and I just love your story so much and your willingness to share it. And I'm just curious, if you could look back you know, at the start of your journey, maybe to when you were 14 years old and you decided, you know, I want to start reading the Wall Street Journal more and I'm going to see what Wall Street has to hold. What would you say to young Charles way back then? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, I asked that because so many people that, that story resonates yeah, with me, Yeah, yeah. you know, facing yeah, kind of adversity yeah. and there might be people listening to this with big goals and dreams and wondering what could be pursuing their own American dream, but it seems like so remote and hard to reach. What would you tell that young you person? You know, the one thing I would say, one thing is, um, you know, I, I gave a speech earlier this year in Chicago. And they were asking me very similar questions. They, you know, before we did it, it was at a mega church, 22,000 congregants. And I said, you know, for me, this book and my next book and anything I do with involving the stock market, it's about building a foundation for the future. And I want people to think of it that way. And I think about my grandparents. So 
I recently, um, my grandparents, my on my mother's side, they had a farm in Alabama, and they bought it in 1951. So you can imagine a black family owning a farm in Alabama in 1951. Mm-hmm. There was always this chatter in the family of what they used to buy the farm. I only heard bits and pieces of the story. And uh, again, you know, I got I've got this next book teeing it up, right? So uh, the publisher was like, "We need to, you know, you know, let's get it going." You know, it takes a certain amount of time to clean it up, edit it, whatever. And finally, I got the deed or the contract for the land, the sixty acres they bought. When you see what they gave up, like they have been working so hard, so they gave up two mules, some cattle, some hay making equipment. Uh, they gave it all up, you know, they, to buy this land, to nurture this land, and they didn't have anything. Um, we used to go down there, and I used to, I didn't like going down there as a kid because they had no electricity and no running water. And so I kind of frowned upon it. You know, who wants to use the bathroom in the outhouse? It was only as I grew as a, as a man and a father that I appreciate the risk they took, um, and what it meant to build that as a foundation for their children. So I hope what I can do is help people build just a greater foundation for future generations. That's what I'm hoping I can follow their lead. Mm. Wow, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So powerful to think about where we all all come from. But I think it's really a testament to you and the character that you have that rather than keeping you know all the secrets to success a secret because you could and i think no one would really fault you for that right you live your life to give back and open the doors to everyone all of us and for that charles i thank you thank you thanks a lot lady i appreciate it thank you for thanks for sharing and for anybody who wants to learn more about Charles Payne, you would be so well served to check out his his many books, but most recently, Unstoppable Prosperity. You can watch him 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on Fox Business. Uh, you're missing out if you're not watching that show. Absolutely. <laughs> and the man works 24-7 because he also has an equity and stock market research company, Wall Street, my, Wall Street Strategies. Wall Street Strategies. I was just looking at the website. You also have live Q and A's on the weekends. <laughs> I saw. So it really is a twenty four seven operation. It is. Um, anyway, Charles, really my pleasure to get to talk to you. Thank you so much. You know I'll be watching your show and checking out the town hall on Thursday, July twenty seventh. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Charles Payne's Unstoppable Prosperity Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this series and don't forget to rate and review. And keep listening so I can help put you on the path to unstoppable prosperity now. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.